As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Son of Slovenia, cool as hell, he scores the ball and he rebounds well. Welcome to 77 Minutes, a Dallas Mavericks podcast, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The only Mavericks podcast that isn't just wildly offended that Luca isn't in the MVP conversation. But we're going to talk about that. I'm Tim Cato. I'm here in my apartment with Austin Guria. It's an Austin episode. Uh, Sorry for being a little bit more echoey than usual. Uh, But you know what? I think it's worth it because you get the in-person banter of a live pod. I mean, I guess we can refer to your apartment as an echo chamber. I don't like that. I don't like that. And we're off to a great start, folks. Uh, we're going to start with uh, Milwaukee. I was just in Milwaukee uh, yesterday. We're recording Monday night. Obviously, that Sunday game was it was brilliant. It was just a brilliant game of basketball is my main takeaway. I have a lot more takeaways. So we're we're, we're going to get there. But damn, that was good basketball. Damn, I enjoyed watching that. Uh, even though my flight had a six and a half hour delay and I basically got to basically got to Milwaukee like six hours before I had to be at the arena. I don't want to talk about that. Uh, it was really good basketball. You took it in the same way, right? And, no, and that it, was like, that's why people listen to podcasts about basketball and why people would read stuff while you have a job writing about basketball because that was fantastic. That's like the peak of NBA product. That made me feel like watching a classic like mid-2000s Dirk Duncan game on Sunday afternoon. That was that was one of my favorite Mavericks games I think I've seen in the last couple of years. And I had a feeling, and this is not a feeling I, I've had about the Mavericks a lot uh, before January and February. I had a feeling early on, oh, I think the Mavs are going to win this. It, it just, I felt good about the way that they looked, the way they were playing. Obviously, Milwaukee starts with like four threes or whatever. Uh, that That's not, you know, once the game settles in, it just looked like they had answers. And I, I thought one of the most telling moments uh, was the way that Luca kept reacting to the various pick and roll coverages that he was being thrown, uh, were being thrown at him. And, you know, the Milwaukee famously, they love their drop coverage. They love Brooke Lopez just hunkering down in the paint. 
And they did that for a while, and there's a reason that Luka averages the most assists against Milwaukee. Again, you know, as compared to any other team that he that he's played in his career. Because he just he just he's so good in that five to ten feet from the rim area. And I know you you're thinking or, or what you've told me before, you just feel like his touch is just otherworldly. It's it's a bunch of different things, but that that the touch to be able to float through different options and then still put up a shot that's a really good shot is definitely part of it. That was just an absolute Luca masterclass. And yeah, he was great against that drop coverage. It's funny, like at the beginning of the season, Kid talked about being able to give Luca just the answers to the test. And it felt like Luca had every answer to every question uh, the Bucks threw their way. And that drop coverage is just, it's just not a good coverage to play against Luca Doncic. You're just going to get diced up if you play that same drop coverage every single time, especially with a traditional big man. And not only is he just just absolutely unbelievable in those in-between areas, he's able to get passes to the corner and he's able to create angles with his body and with his movements to move defenders and manipulate defenders um, in a way that I just honestly, no one else in the NBA can do. He threw like a lob pass to Dwight Powell, not a lob dunk, just like was eight feet from the basket, threw a lob over Brooke Lopez that Dwight Powell caught on the ground and then had a dunk which is just a pass I don't think anyone else in the NBA can make. It's it was a true masterclass of pick and roll ball handling. Like if I if I was going to teach a young child how to play pick and roll basketball, I would show them that Luka Doncic game. It, it reminds me that that just instantly brought to mind the one he threw over Rudy Gobert uh maybe a month ago where it's like Rudy's in the right place, yeah. but Luka threw a pass with the right angle and the right uh loft on it that it just eliminates a defender who usually can guard two players. And, and that's what Gobert does, and that's what Giannis does. Uh, it's, I thought it was really interesting that the, the, the Bucks The Bucks like giving up threes. They like, they, they prefer that almost always to giving up uh, shots at the rim. And they, they've given up too many threes this season. And, and part of what they need to do, uh, you know, I, I was reading Bucks fans say this, is to stop overhelping as much as they did. But the first half of this game, they didn't. They really stayed home on the corner shooters. It was funny. I was talking to Dorian uh, at practice on, on Saturday. And I'm just standing there. I'm waiting for someone. And Dorian is just very much, he sees me and he's looking to, looking to share. And he's like, man, the Bucks give up so many threes. And he's, <laughs> he's excited. Like, he's, he's pumped for this. He knows that he's a corner three-point shooter. And, he, and he's going to get some looks. In the first half, he really didn't. And, and, and nobody really did. And, and it took Spencer Dinwiddie hitting some, uh, some really crucial isolation pull-ups. Uh, to, to sustain them for a while. But the Bucks did a good job. And and the thing that Luca does is he gets into that 5 to 10 feet range. And because he can both hold off the defender behind him, you know, kind of handcuff the defender uh, on his back, the, the guy trailing who went over the pick. And he can also just wait and wait and wait out the big man, force him to commit to something that looks like a shot, that could be a shot, that would be a very easy shot if the, the big man doesn't commit. He's either passing to the big man at that point or he's kicking out to the corner. And in this instance, uh, Milwaukee wasn't helping from the corner. They weren't crashing in from the corners. So that corner pass wasn't there. And, and so he just kept feeding Dwight Powell. And it happened a bunch. And Milwaukee played it okay at, at times. Like they got away with it. Um, you know, I, I think coaches think about defense or, or think about uh, playing defenses as like, okay, you're not going to succeed every time, obviously. But how do you consistently get? you know, 1.1 points per possession shots. 
How do you consistently end a possession with a shot that on average is going to give you 1.12, 1.13? And they were doing, you know, maybe 1.07 stuff, uh, you know, which is like average defense. I know this is really nerdy, but I swear this is kind of how coaches think about it. Maybe not with the numbers, but in terms of like shot quality, this is this is how they approach it. And so the the Bucks start adapting. And Giannis is that guy who can kind of guard both the corner and the rim at once. And there's a couple times in the third quarter where uh, they're able to adapt to it. Brooks coming out a little bit higher. Um, and Giannis is, is really being a pain. And I know you saw this. I know everybody saw this. Lucas starts seeking out Giannis as a switch. And initially, like I think the very first time he does it, he hits the step back three over him. And you're thinking, oh, Luca has no fear. Luca, Luca can, you know, he'll he'll go right at Giannis too. He's looking for a challenge. But really what he's doing is he's pulling Giannis away as a help defender. And as that quarter goes on, uh, this is mostly in the fourth quarter. And I have a story on The Athletic uh, Tuesday morning that I, I pulled some clips and I kind of talked about how his mind is moving and thinking. But by pulling Giannis away, all of a sudden the Bucks get scared. They start collapsing in from the corners. And I think the two shots that really seal it is a Finney Smith corner three on the right side and then a Reggie Bullock corner three on the left side. And at that point, it's a six-point lead, seven-point lead with about five minutes left. Uh, maybe, maybe maybe it was closer to six or seven. But that was the moment where I'm like, oh, the Mavericks, are they're going to win this. Like, it would take something for them not to win it. And for Luka just to continually be thinking that far ahead, it, I mean, it's genius stuff. Like, like, I don't know how else to describe it. No, that was genius-level pick-and-roll ball handling. That is the best pick-and-roll ball handling you will ever see from any basketball player. I honestly... So, it's I don't want to just feed off hot takes, but he might be the best pick and roll ball handler of all time. Yeah, he I cannot think of a there are people who maybe like have a or better passers, but no one has his size and his ability to step back and to hit long range threes. He's just he just diced them up the entire game. He was one step ahead at on every single possession from the third quarter on. Kid brought him back early in the fourth quarter, much earlier than he normally is because they they couldn't hit shots in early in the fourth quarter, so he got brought in. Jason also said, I asked him about that after the game, and Jason said that um, he was he felt good about doing that because they had four timeouts yeah. and there were longer media timeouts. So yeah. it was a combination of having more timeouts than you usually have. A lot of times you're going to use a couple in the third, but also the obviously the longer timeouts just giving giving more rest time to Luca. And and typically they, I mean, they use Luca a lot in the pick and roll, but they'll you know, diversify their offense and go to other options. He was the pick and roll ball handler for, I think almost every single possession in the fourth quarter. And he had an answer basically every time he had Brooke Lopez jumping in the air, just guessing it. He, he had bucks defenders running into each other, trying to stop him from getting to the rim. And he would just throw passes around them. It was Honestly, it was it was one of the more remarkable. It's, uh, that might be my favorite Luka game that I have seen. In that the pressure was there. It's late in the season. He knows it's an important game. He knows he's playing Giannis. He knows everyone in Europe is watching this game, and that is the most locked in that you will see Luka Doncic play a basketball game. That that's that's why he can be the best offensive player in basketball. And the Mavericks are just running the same play and and honing in through their best player pretty much every possession. That's a big reason, I think, why it felt so much like a playoff game. That's playoff basketball. It was, You yeah. do something until the other team stops it. And Milwaukee cycled through a lot of ways of trying to stop it, you know, between the original drop coverage to 
uh, Lopez showing more. Uh, and then, you know, they, that small ball center looks with, um, oh, who's their, who's their, uh, their, their backup center they're using? Bobby Portis? Yeah, Bobby Portis. Yeah. Sorry. Um, my, my name, my brain was drawing a blank. Um, but when Bobby was in, like, you saw a higher, more aggressive trap. And Luca just solved it all. And he can solve all of it. Like, like there's, there's a few more things you can try. And it's why I've suggested before, I think once you get in the postseason, we're going to get a few games into a series and you may see a team. It depends on what team it is, but you may see a team just say, we're going to switch everything. We're going to hope Luca isn't, doesn't have the energy to actually go for 60 uh, in isolation just over and over again. Because like you said, he really might, especially by the end of his career, he might be the best pick and roll player. They can pick and roll ball handler ever. Yeah. I honestly, if I was trying to defend Luka Doncic for a playoff series, I would just switch everything and hope that he can't score 60 every single game. Right. And that he wears out because trying to play the pick and roll cat and mouse game with him, you're not going to win. Maybe if you have Draymond Green, maybe that's the only pick and roll defender that can maybe somewhat stay one step ahead of him on the defensive end. But even that Draymond isn't big enough to really affect Luka in that way. And you're going to lose that game. If you try to play chess with him, you will lose. He's the best chess player in the NBA, bar none. And it was fully on display yesterday. Yesterday felt like game one of a very important play. It felt like game one of like a conference finals. And that the way that it was played, everyone was playing 40 minutes. Giannis played 40 minutes. It felt very important, very high stakes. And it was just a great playoff preview. Yeah. The other, the other way you slow down the pick and roll is you force Dwight Powell off the court and... You force the Mavericks into small ball. If let's say you're the Suns, the, the the way you stop that is is not by stopping it, but it's by saying, well, if you're going to play Dwight Powell, who is far and away the best rolling big on the team and has the synergy with Luca, well, we're going to get you know automatic buckets. We're going to get like seventy five percent looks with Aiton constantly, and then if you double that, we're going to swing the ball around. We're going to have ball movement to get open threes. Uh, you know, th- there's there's ways that the very best teams will counteract this, and and they really might be on the other end of the floor more than anything else. Do you think if the season was played behind closed doors and the results of them came out right now, and we're just having to parse through who the best players are, what all the stats look like, is it the same top three MVP in 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 this discussion, or is or is do you think Luca? would be in the top four? Because really, I think statistically, he's got the next best best case. I think if you looked at it and you didn't know that Luka didn't play up to his standards in the first two months of the season, I think it would be a four-person race for the MVP because his stats are on par with with Embiid, with Giannis, with Jokic, and his records catch up. And their their record is is better. Um, And so he's right there. He's as talented as any of those guys, and he impacts winning. And he's won against all. He has a very good record against all those guys head to head. And I think if you looked at it just kind of objectively, and you didn't know what happened earlier in the season, he would have a better case for MVP. Yeah, yeah. I'm not super bothered by Luca not being in the discussion. Um, I, I understand why Mavericks fans are feel aggrieved about it. And like, you should, if you're a fan, like you should be rooting for your guy. You should be out here saying, uh, look at how much he's beat them in head to head stuff, uh, matchups and, and look and look at what his numbers are. I just, I come back to those first months I watched of him and 
I guess it's, I'm in this weird place where Luca accrues counting stats so easily and just so much by the nature of who he is. How much, how much credence do I, do I give to that? Because like what he's doing now against Milwaukee is brilliant. It's, it's MVP level stuff. It's, he would be fully worthy if, if that's what he's been doing all season. Um, but because of the way the offense is set up around Luca, that that he has you know average, you know top three, top five touches per game, it, it's kind of inevitable. Inevitable, even when he's playing poorly, even when he was playing poorly to start the year, that he was still going to rack up points and assists. Um, you know, obviously that's part of the reason why his efficiency is is not comparable to the other three players. Um, although that's even that's kind of unfair because you've got essentially got three big men um, who are not going to be asked to you know take step back threes when the, the the clock's at two because it's the only option the offense has. You're, you're juggling a lot of factors. Um, I don't have an MVP vote, and honestly, I'm glad for that. It's it's a mess trying to figure out all the different factors, but I just, I, I know the player I watched the, the first three months of the season, and I know that I have been the biggest Luka acolyte, and, you know, I felt like it's my job sometimes just to be like, this is how brilliant he is, this is why, this is how. And I don't have any, um, I don't have any doubts about my thinking that he is at best fourth. And I, and I think I would have him fourth. Um, again, it doesn't really matter. I don't have a vote. Um, but I, I'm okay with him being outside the top three for that reason. Yeah, I think I think he's fourth. I think he he did not play well early in the season, and he really he did not affect winning in the way that he typically does throughout the first two parts. I mean, it's easier for, to forget that they were 16 and 18 at Christmas. And they started playing well when he got injured. And so that does count. That was a, a legitimate part of the season. Um, my argument for him would be that he is a lock now for a first-team All-NBA. He's been the best guard in basketball this season. And I would not take any other guard in basketball over his full season. Um, but I think Giannis and Embiid and Jokic have put together a more f- complete season and have impacted winning throughout the majority of the season. Um and so if, if fans want him to be in the top three, you know, if someone, if he snuck into the top three, you got a couple top three votes. I don't, I wouldn't be mad at that. I think that's legitimate. I think he's as good as those top three players. I just think that he hasn't put together a full season. And next year, I think you'll have the opportunity to do that. You'll have a full summer and you'll have a, the time to actually come, to, come into the season in shape. Yeah. And I think, I think he's going to do it this year. I, I, I expect to see, you know, he doesn't, again, he doesn't have to be, uh, his second second year Doncic, he doesn't need to be attacking the rim like that, but he needs to be in a level of shape where it doesn't look like he's laboring out there. And I I expect to I expect to get that from him next season. I mean I guess we'll see. I, I you know it's 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 up to him and in, in, in how he decides to put full focus into being one of the best players in, in the NBA or the best player in the NBA. But but he can be the best player in the NBA, and I, I think he is very soon gonna be that. Uh, but but yeah, I, I think that's where I'm at. I, again, we're also quibbling over like MVP isn't actually a ranking of the best player in the NBA, but we're we're quibbling over. Okay, well he's probably just fourth. Yeah, fourth is pretty high. Fourth, I mean, it's fourth pretty is, good. That that is that is most certainly up there, and especially in this season, there's a, there's a lot of good basketball players yeah, this season. This that's, is this is one of the most complicated MVP votes. I would hate to have to vote on MVP this year. I, I honestly still don't know. There's there's four games left in the season, and if I had to have a vote, I have no clue. I'm like, could it, I think maybe I'm leaving Giannis, but also if you vote Jokic, I'm like, I, it's hard to deny Jokic. It's, it's I think tough. it has to be one of those two, in my opinion. Yeah. And I think, I think it beats 
easily third to me of of those two. But I think Embiid somehow got hurt by the Harden trade, which yeah, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> yeah, I mean he had he had a narrative going around that that he was he was doing it all on a roster without a without a co star, which again a fair narrative, and we should accept. Like it's it's futile to pretend that narrative is not a factor uh, that voters pay attention to, whether they should or not. I, I even kind of get behind the argument that there should be a little bit of narrative you take into account for MVP because it's most valuable. It's yeah. not statistically best. It's not uh, most dominant on the courts, you know, based off advanced metrics. It is most valuable. And like, if you're going to word in, in a word that way, like I, I don't know how you avoid just a little bit of narrative. Now the splits between how voters historically have treated narrative versus tr- treated like actual performance. I do not think it's right, but Look, if you've got 10% narrative built into the way you choose who should be the MVP, I think that's fair and reasonable. I think narrative is important. When you look at MVP and um, sort of further extend all NBA, you're looking to what's the story of that season? I was, was going to say that exact word. How do you, how do you yeah. tell the storytelling of this specific season? If it doesn't feel right, if you couldn't tell the story of the 2021-2022 season without a certain player, that should counter into it. I think... It's a good argument for Westbrook's 2017 season in that he was a huge narrative driver, whether you like that season or not. Right. That you cannot tell the story of that season without Westbrook's historic triple-double season. And so I think that should take into account when we look back at these things historically. Because it's it's basically, it's, it's a record. It's a record of what happened in the NBA that season. Who did we award? Who did we find valuable? And who did we think that was most deserving of that award? Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, it's it's kind of how I view it. I, I mean, I think that you, you've also got to be careful because the narrative, you know, Westbrook being the story of the season, that the, the year he won, was driven by a narrative that was chosen because we just really like, uh, you know, categories of 10. Yeah. And, and so, like, to what point is a narrative actually telling what the season was all about and to what point is it, telling a story because everybody hated KD and everybody loved Westbrook that it drove a lot of clicks and media attention. And then we built a narrative based off that we kept feeding a narrative that didn't have to be as big as it was because the thunder weren't that good that year. Um, But we chose to because it it resonated with our brain. So yeah, I mean, there's, there's no, there's no mathematical way to do this. Like people are like 80 or 90% um, like performance and, and then just acknowledge that narrative has an impact. I think that's where I'd land. Honestly, I think the Mavericks kind of hurt Giannis's MVP moment. He was, he was having some phenomenal games. He had like two or three straight great 40, 44 point games going against KD. I think if he had come out and he had had 45, 10 and five against Luca and had pulled out that game in the end, I think it would have really pushed him ahead into the number one slot in MVP. Because I think right now it's so close now that narrative and high-end and high-leverage moments are really going to separate the three down the stretch because it's so close, especially in this race. We should talk about that. I mean, I thought the Mavericks were better defensively. And and, and you saw some of that paint-packing and full-blown rotations and sprinting out that we hadn't seen in past games. I... This is this is based off a quick look at the tape, and I'm also not the you know I, I I don't I don't think that I'm a tape guy to the extent that I can highlight exactly why everything is happening. I just I, I can analyze certain aspects of it. I don't think Spencer was playing great defense, and I think that's a big reason why he ended up with about 20 minutes 
Uh, he definitely missed some some of their excellent rotations that we've talked about all year. I saw that happen a couple times. Uh, so so if you're wondering why he played well in the second quarter and then all of a sudden J- Brunson was also playing Brunson played well. um, that yeah. was one of Brunson's best defensive games. I right. was not expecting Brunson right. to bring that level of defensive energy against Chris Middleton. Right. And, well, and then the you know there's just an obvious contrast. If if one of these two guards that are your second guards, yeah. one of them is acing it defensively as well as he can be, and Brunson has like defensive limitations that we we're very aware of. But if he's getting all his rotations right and he's holding up okay, and you saw the other guy uh, miss miss a couple rotations in the in the first half, yeah, like that's that's the beauty about having two players um, is that you can go with the hot hand, and sometimes the hot hand can be the other way around that it, it doesn't have to be which one's making shots. It can be that Brunson was just nailing the rotations in the way that allowed the Mavericks to really play this pack the paint defense, because that's what they're doing against Giannis. I, yeah. I have a couple screen grabs. I'll put in a story later this week of just, they're back to that. Okay. All five guys are within 10 feet of Giannis when he's trying to post up. That was some of the most disciplined defense I have seen them play all season. They were spot on, especially in the second half. Yeah. The rotations were spot on. When Giannis caught the ball, their soft doubles at him were great. They they doubled him in different ways. They didn't always double him in the same exact way so that he couldn't just decipher what was going on very quickly. And he struggled. Honestly, he ended up with 28 points, but he got a lot of kind of freebies towards the end in, in, in garbage time. That was not a great Giannis game. And he looked genuinely frazzled. I think he said something to that point after the game. And that was also, I think, that was one of Lucas' best rebounding games. And that... He didn't have that. I think we had like seven or eight rebounds, but every rebound that he got was highly contested. And they rebound, they gang rebounded as a team as well as I think I've ever seen them do it because that Milwaukee front court is enormous. They rebound very well and they kept them mostly off the boards after that first quarter. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what I was speaking to way earlier when, even though Luca was getting counting stats early in the year, I didn't, even his counting stats, even the rebounds and the assists felt more a product of what role he plays in the team than a true impact where it's like Luca's having a rebounding game. Yeah. And I didn't I didn't that I didn't see that as much as as you did, but I fully believe this. You're also getting very good at podcasting. You're just being like, this is the best I've seen all season. You you've tossed this out like three times. That that is the yeah. mark of podcasting. You just come with hot takes. You gotta bring you gotta and, bring the takes. That's there's no receipts. <laughs> there there are no receipts. I, I don't even know if people listen to this. Do we keep transcripts for podcasts? Uh, they, we better not. <laughs> We're just sending every podcast to the Library of Congress. We should. There, we need to have some accountability. There's some podcasts the podcast that I, I do not want our ancestors looking back and in, in trying to judge what the uh, what the 21st century was up to. Um, this is probably one of them. I, I, I don't know. Don't think less of us, uh, you know, people in twenty, what two thousand seven hundred. You don't want our descendants to spend seventy-seven minutes in heaven. <sighs> I don't really. By then, by then, um, we're all going to be in heaven, or, I mean, or somewhere. Probably our planet's going to be burned. Exactly, up, so exactly. <laughs> so we're going to be spending a lot longer than seventy-seven minutes there. What else do you want to talk about? Uh, Maxi missed the game. I was talking to him a little bit before, and he said he was going to see a specialist or, or have see some sort of doctor on Monday. Uh, I thought the key quote there was that he just wants to be, you know, he said something to the effect of, I want to be able to move like I know I can. I, I don't know. I, I think it's a little hot takey. Maybe you maybe you can say this. I think it's a little hot takey to be like, oh, it's it's better he was off the court against Milwaukee. 
I don't think he would have had a huge role. Uh, the Davis Bertans minutes definitely looked uh, he, pretty he, good. He was good. He was he like good, good defense. He put good defense. Like he Honestly, was. He, he tried, tried making shots, which is weird. He went too far. He shot forty percent from three, but okay. he had but he had open looks. Yeah. His, all of his threes were wide open. Yeah, he hit the, the type of looks. He hit the first two, and I was like, oh, he's about to. Ha- we're about to have the, yeah. the Bertans game. It's gonna happen eventually. But I I am I am uh, increasingly coming around on the idea that the postseason may be a lot of Dwight and Davis as a center rotation. Yeah. I, I think that's really possible. That game was actually very encouraging to me in that I was like, Davis can play in a high leverage playoff game and you can put him out there and he's not going to just be just destroyed on defense and just, he was, right. he was solid. And he, I agree. The thing about him is like, I, that I didn't really realize before he got, he, he's athletic. He can really move his feet. He can move around the court. If he's in the right spots and he's big enough, he can be fine on defense and he's not going to absolutely kill you. And I think, they simplified his role on defense. He's just going to need to have one of these games where he just hits five or six threes. Yeah. Yeah, he is athletic, and, and that does definitely help him when he's, you know, contesting around the rim, stuff like that. I still think his side-to-side movement is probably where he uh, he falters a little bit in that sense. He's I've seen him get beat off the dribble uh, quite a few times in the past few weeks. But, you know, like for the type of player he is and for what role we're projecting for him in the postseason, I, I think he's a good, valuable player to have. I think that's important. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I don't think you've been on the podcast since, you know, I feel like like the last three weeks, all three of them, we were just talking about playoff matchups, you know, me, Dave and Mike, uh, and we'll probably be back next week talking about the same thing. Uh, we'll know who it is now that we're, we're pretty much down here. I'm going to check the standings right now, but I still feel pretty confident. It's either, it's either Utah or Denver. Yeah. There's it's, it would, it's something we would have to happen for the Warriors. Yeah. It to be the Warriors. Something really weird. It's, it, do you have a preference? You know what? My my heart wants to play the Jazz because I would just I want to be responsible for them imploding and trading everybody this season. They're they're a team that's just on the emotional cliff and they're ready to just completely implode. But from a pure basketball perspective, they would beat the Nuggets in five. The Nuggets that team is not good. That they have Jokic is Jokic is absolutely dragging them. They have no above average NBA player in the rest of that rotation. That's that rotation would get off the bench maybe like like Aaron Gordon is good Aaron Gordon is, is a decent NBA player nah, but I good. but like I'm not scared of Aaron Gordon in a playoff series I'm not scared of Will Barton in a playoff series they're good yeah they're good NBA players but they're not guys that I'm I don't have to game plan for them I think also they're gonna score 130 playing against the Nuggets every single game I just I think Jokic will be good enough to get them one game but I honestly I think Cade can scheme enough to slow down Jokic and I just, I don't think it would be a very close series. I think it would, it would be in five. I mean, I like that answer. Um, 
me, Mike, Dave have all been pretty set on Denver being the worst matchup. And I, like, I, I don't think it should be a unanimous. I still feel that way, but I agree that it shouldn't be a unanimous feeling that is perfectly reasonable for someone to say, okay, I hear you on the concerns about the big man mismatches and things like that. But talent-wise, that's just a worse team. And, and again, I, I, I was factoring in, I've been factoring in a little bit the idea that Porter could come back, which still seems increasingly not likely. I, it, I feel like Jamal Murray might try to come back. Yeah. But if you kind of come back in the playoffs of an ACL, there's just, as much as I actually, I really like Jamal, I think he's a fan. He would be someone that I'm scared of. But sure. playing your first NBA game back from a torn ACL in the playoffs, like he's just, he's not going to be the same guy. Right. If he does come back and play. Versus Utah, where I don't want to play in Utah. It's hard to play there. I don't want to play Gobert. As much as I know, I think Luke can, can get the best of Gobert. I don't want to have to deal with that for five or six games. And they can get hot from three. They, they, if they're all healthy and they decide they want to like each other for like three or four games, they can be a problem. Bro, they can't like each other for three or four minutes. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a real high bar. It's clear. But I, they can put it together and make it tough. I think it's going to be tough to go play in Utah and get two wins in Utah. I'm honestly, I just, I don't fear the Nuggets. I've honestly, I've never feared the Nuggets in the last two or three years. The Mavericks have always played them really well. They've never really had a, like a really huge issue with them. Jokic is phenomenal and he's great and he's going to put up numbers, but I just don't think he, I don't think the Nuggets could compete with the Mavericks in a five, in a seven game series. Have I shared my theory that I think one of the reasons Rudy is dislikable, there's some personality reasons like you know, we all know the the COVID microphone thing, but I think I think um, I think elite NBA players don't respect other players who are being propped up as elite who can't shoot, like especially free throws. If like your free throw form is janky, I think I think there is just an internalized I don't like you. Like like these these guards, these shooters are like I spent so long on my craft. I am like so skilled at what I do. And you're just out here being big and tall, and you look goofy at like 15 feet away from the rim, unguarded. You know what it is? He's not a real hooper. <sighs> He's not a real hooper. Honestly, I think that's why I think Giannis gets less hate now. But yeah. he clearly has got some dislike. And, and you know, there's also a European and, and just international flavor to this whole thing. There's a lot of factors. But that is one of my theories. Is that have I? I hope I haven't shared this. Maybe I shared this last week. But that's one of my theories. Is that. Uh, you know, just not being like you look goofy, fifteen feet unguarded. It's a free throw, man. It's free. Yeah. And honestly, if your form looks good, even if you're like seventy percent, doesn't matter. It's all about like the way you look. I think it's do do I fear you if you're taking a, a eighteen foot pull up? Yeah. That's that's the thing about you know. I think sometimes we attribute it to like oh, it's a international player or foreign player. They're not familiar with them or they don't trust them. It's not the same for Luca. Everyone universally from his rookie year respected that dude and thought he was a guy and was going to be one of the best players from like Draymond, like everyone, all the top players from Luke, the time Lucas stepped into the league, he had the full respect of his peers. And it's because he's a great pick and roll ball handler. He shoots step back threes. He can read the, like read defenses. He's a really skilled player. Right. And no one would say, oh, that guy's not skilled. I think sometimes when you see guys who are larger, who, don't have as much finesse to their game and don't have as much one-on-one scoring ability 
is where you get that level of like disrespect or the lack of respect for that person's game. But right. I don't think Luca ever went through that. Honestly, Luca, I think faster than almost any player in the NBA got full respect from his peers. Yeah. Yeah. And we still need to see him go through like a deeper playoff run where he's really like beating. Yeah. Uh, other stars like that, that will be a, a, a case study to just see if there's a undiscovered hatred of, of him that some people are going to find. Obviously he can be a annoying dude on the court. Um, but it does feel like the people, like players who have expressed hate or you know dislike towards him, are really trying to dislike him. Yeah. Like they're they're actually having to put some effort in. It's it's not it's it's not like the easiest thing to do. It's like they have to go out of their way to be like, oh yeah, I don't like that dude, and I don't care. I'm yeah. just gonna I'm just gonna say it. Yeah, if they don't like him, it's gonna be personal. And it's then, not gonna be based the, on basketball. Even the guys who dislike him, like Patrick Beverly, are yeah. actually like, oh yeah, he's the hardest guy I've ever had to guard yeah. in my life. Guys, respect. It's him. so funny that dude. Is, he's so ta- he is the most he might be the most talented player in basketball. Luca? Yeah. Oh, I thought you were talking about that stuff. Uh, I mean, he he has uh, a, he has a, for me. he has a talent. I don't know if it's basketball, I mean, it's, but it's, <laughs> it's like, dude, it's one or the other. <laughs> he has a talent. <laughs> dude, it's one or the other for sure. So, all right, uh anything else you want to talk about? Anything any you got I'm supposed to ask people like guests like you got anything to plug? Do I have a song in my heart? I don't know. I did a I did a recent podcast with uh The Ceiling is the Roof. Oh, nice. Another good podcast, even though we're the only one. Listen, figure I, that out. We'll let math people. I only do podcasts like based on uh, names that are places. So ceiling is a roof. It's a building. Seven minutes in heaven. It's heaven. So if your podcast has to do oh, I with, thought, with I thought you were going to say like a closet in seventh grade that Oof. you had a great time in. Oh, that. Mm-mm. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I just I saw that joke going somewhere else. And uh, it, it was way more wholesome. <laughs> So that's a good place to end it. This is a Rage podcast. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Thanks. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll be back with Mike and Dave next week to play off the, play off the previews. Preview the playoffs. It's like here. It's here. It's that time. It's playoff crazy. season. All right. See y'all then. He plays Fortnite just like me. I am 34. Don't fight the future, honey. Don't fight the future, the future is Luke, a big dick donchich from the home of Melania Trump. How many kids you have? Don't fight the future, it tears me apart. Don't fight the future, please be nice to Luca. Future four-time MVP. Oh my god! Shut it down! Let's go home! (laughs) It's a wrap, dude! That is a wrap. (laughs) Woo!